are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. The scripture is found in the fifth chapter of Daniel. Daniel, Daniel chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. This is the writing that was written. Mene, Mene, Tikeo, Uparsi. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikeo, thou art weighed in the palaces and found wanting. Erased, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Night was about to come down upon the famous city of Babylon and the shadows of its two hundred towers. The river Euphrates rolled on, touched with the fiery splendor of the setting sun. The gates of brass opened and closed like doors of flame. The hanging gardens of Nebuchadnezzar were wet and heavy with dew. The stars peeped shyly and blushed and dropped tears of silver upon the flowers that sent up a fragrance that went for miles around. The streets in the square were alight for promenade and dance and frolic. Scenes of moral riot and godless mirth and outrageous excess of every indulgence ensued. For they had come to the palace that night to do their mightiest deeds of battle. Belshazzar, the act- acting monarch, had proclaimed a royal feast in the palace. Rushing up to the gates of the palace were chariots upholstered in beauty, drawn with prancing and fiery-eyed steed. The lords and ladies dismounted, the ladies were gowned in all the grandeur and splendor of that Syrian age. Then began the feasting and the drinking, the dancing. Belshazzar begins to drink. After a while, his royal dignity is torn to shreds. A strange conceit comes into his mind. He calls for a servant and whispers in his ear. The servant leaves the banqueting hall. Soon he comes back with a retinue of servants. They are bringing their hands vessels of gold and silver. These vessels were used in the worship of Jehovah in the temple back at Jerusalem. But when Nebuchadnezzar, one of the predecessors of Belshazzar, sacked the temple at Jerusalem, he brought with him these precious vessels. Now Belshazzar orders them filled with Babylonian wine and passed around. I can see the proud young king as he holds one of God's golden chalices and brings it to his lips when suddenly... Do you see those fingers? Duck Lord by his side says, see fingers? You got Do you see those fingers? One of his ladies says, yes, I see them. The fingers of a man's hand, they're writing there by the candlestick, there by the pilaster, they're writing on the wall. Quiet, everyone! Quiet! Guards, lock the door! Who's there? Who's there, guard? Search that area! The fingers are gone. Who wrote those words? Mene, Mene, Tikal, Uparsin, numbered, numbered, weighed and divided to pieces. What's number? What's we? What's divided to pieces? Send for the astrologers. Where are the soothsayers? We'll have a meaning of this. While Belshazzar waits for the astrologers, his knees begin to smite together. The astrologers come. They stand before the king and say, Oh, Belshazzar, live forever. He commands them to interpret the handwriting on the wall. But in there... Chicanery, they admit 
that they are thinking. He orders them put to death, take them out, turn their homes into hills of refuge. But the Dowager Queen hears of the mysterious thing that has happened down in the banqueting hall. She comes in before the young king and says, Oh, Belshazzar, live forever. There's an old prophet in the realm, Daniel by name. He prophesied in the days of thy grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Send for Daniel. He can interpret the handwriting on the wall. And for once in his life, Belshazzar was willing to listen to the advice of a good mother. Do you know there's many a little old fool sissy out in the world tonight? There's many a person who will not listen to the advice of somebody who knows better than he does. But when the words of doom begin to ring in his ears, he will wish he had listened. So Daniel sends, or Belshazzar sends for Daniel. I can see the old prophet of God now stooped under the weight of years, but still the interested man of God, as he comes in before the young king, and Belshazzar cries, O Daniel, live forever! I understand that thou hast a strange insight into the mysterious. I understand that the spirit of the gods dwells in thee. Behold, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote those words on the wall. Can you interpret this mysterious thing? Daniel takes a fleeting look at the handwriting on the wall and says, Yes, Belshazzar, that's my father's handwriting. (laughs) But before I interpret it, have you forgot how your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar walked out and stuck out his chest and drew in his chin and strutted about? He said, Big eye, God Almighty kicked him down on his hands and knees until seven years passed over his head. Till he could learn that the Lord God rules in the kingdom of men and set it up over it the basis of man and give it to whomsoever he chooses. But you have forgot the true God of heaven. And you have begun to praise gods of gold and gods of silver and gods of brass and gods of iron and gods of stone and gods of wood. And now, the true God has sealed thy doom. Manet, Manet, numbered, numbered. Belshazzar could read those words. They were in the plain Aramaic language. I used to think there was some strange celestial language until we were reading the book of Daniel in the Hebrew and came to the second chapter and our professor, who knew 26 languages, said if we continue the study of Daniel, it will be necessary for us to study the Aramaic. There were only four of us in the class, all college professors, he passed around four Aramaic grammars, and we had to learn the Aramaic. We came to the fifth chapter. I was surprised to learn that these were plain Aramaic words. Belshazzar knew that Manet, Manet was numbered, numbered, but he did not know what was numbered. Decale, he knew that that word meant weighed, but he did not know what was weighed. For seen, the letter U is a conjunction. It means and. Was for seen. for seen. He did not know what was divided to pieces. Daniel changed it to parase in order to use a pun. Because parase is the singular, foreseen is the plural. Parase means divided, as foreseen means divided. But parase means they are divided, or foreseen means they are divided. Parase means it is divided. And he put it into the singular, not only in order to say your kingdom is divided, but parade also means Persia. And he said, your parade, your kingdom is parade and given to the parade. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Persians. Manet, Manet, Wade, Belshazzar, thou art Wade. Wade in God's palaces and found one. Parade, the kale that is Wade. And parade, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Manet, Manet, numbered, numbered, 
God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Your days are numbered. God has weighed you and your kingdom and found you wanting. And God has resolved to divide your kingdom and give it to the meat and birth. Belshazzar calls for a royal robe for the prophet and a golden ring for his finger. and says, you can ride in the chariot by my side as the third ruler of the kingdom. He himself was the second ruler, his father's wisdom. Daniel spurns the proper gifts and walks out of the banqueting hall. Belshazzar cries, on with the dance! Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. But they are disturbed for the trap of martial feet. While Belshazzar and his gang were hitting it up, the armies of the Medes and Persians came. They surveyed the situation. The city of Babylon was said to be impervious. There was a wall 350 feet high all the way around the city. On top of that wall, seven chariots could ride abreast. The wall was so broad that seven chariots could ride abreast all the way around the city of Babylon. The wall was fortified with hot babbit. A standing army with molten babbit were ready to pour the molten lead upon an invading army. Perchance they crossed the moat and devised some means to scale the wall. But the river Euphrates ran beneath the wall of Babylon and across the city and out on the other side. Cyrus the Persian came and surveyed the situation. There was a reservoir out there from which the Chaldeans used to get their drinking water. Cyrus dug a channel and turned the course of the river into that reservoir. The water ran beneath the wall of Babylon, and Cyrus and his men, and Darius the Mede, whoever he was, knelt in the bed of the river. They came under the outer wall. Isaiah had prophesied 140 years before that event that two of the gates in the wall around the palace would be left open that night. They rushed through the lead gates into the banqueting hall, and blood flowed instead of wine. That night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. The night in which he desecrated, created the holy vessels of God. The night in which the finger of God wrote in letters of fire, Your days are numbered. And the beams of the sun the next morning, rising over Shana's extensive plains, glimmered in the blood of Chaldees' grandees, and hung a bright though melancholy sheen upon the royal standard of the conquering Zion. His days were numbered. I'm up here tonight, I feel wonderful. I may be dead before I leave this pulpit. I don't suppose there's one in this house tonight. I don't suppose there's a preacher in this audience or any other person who is foolish enough to say, I know I shall live to get over to my room tonight. I don't suppose there's one of you who is fool enough to say, I know I shall be living ten minutes from now or five minutes from now. There have been people fool enough to make such a boast. The notorious Bob Ingersoll used to strut across the platforms of this nation and dare God to strike him dead. He'd take out his watch and he said it. he'd say, if there is a God, I'll challenge him to come down here and kill me within five minutes. I'm going to prove there is no God, he would say. I'll give God five minutes to prove himself. He'd walk over to the side of the platform and stand while the audience sat in breathless stillness for one minute. He'd look at his watch and say, God has four minutes left. He'd go to the other side of the pulpit or of the platform. And he'd say, God has three minutes left. Then he'd go back and say, God has two minutes left. Back to the other side, he'd say, God has one minute, 30 seconds. Then he'd say, yes, there is no God. Then his Sunday used to say, whoa, he said, I wish I'd been God. <laughs> he said there wouldn't have been anything left but a pair of spindles and a mustache. <laughs> but 
But you know, it's a good thing that Billy Sunday was not God. I could feel that way about it. If I were God, I'd go to Moscow and settle with that gang over there. And I'd go down to Cuba and fix that beatnik down there. And if I were God, I'd kill the devil. But I'd make a mess of things. God knows what he's doing. He makes the wrath of men to break. But he will not always chide and he will keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins to rewarded us according to our iniquities. But he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be cut off and that without remedy. I shall never forget years ago down in a little town in South Alabama, all hell organized in an effort to keep us out of the city. In South Georgia it was. Home of El Georgia. Five men joined hands and kept us from getting a certain auditorium. We got another auditorium. We were sponsored by the old Evangelistic Association. Organized by Clark and Bell many years ago. And the fundamental churches of that town were cooperating. They were joined together in an effort to reach the people of that city. And five men said, you cannot hold that meeting. God moved all five of them out of the way. One man was mayor of the city. He fell asleep with sleeping sickness and slept through the meeting and never woke up. Another man died with an acute attack of appendicitis. His name was Hartley. Another man was rolled for his job. He was depot agent in the Atlantic coastline, moved him to another station. Another man was arrested for arson. A man by the name of Max Ellis burned his business in Florida five years previously. The FBI put the finger on him just ten days before the campaign and before the meeting got underway, he was behind bars. The other man committed suicide, took sign out of murder. But the devil brought up reserves. <laughs> and he always will. He fought tooth and nail. I could tell you things that would sound incredible. And I saw people so under conviction that strong men held to the benches to keep from coming forward. It was the second Thursday night. We'd had very little outward manifestation of a moving of the spirit. It had very little time to revive. That night I saw people so convicted and yet they were so adamant. But I said, I want everybody who's willing to pray until revival comes to the city of Homerville. Go down to the basement of this church. Or this uh, auditorium. Twenty-seven people went down there. One girl prayed a prayer I shall never forget. Her name was Minerva Godwin. She said, oh God. It has been necessary for thee to move people out of the way to show that thou art God. She said, Lord, we want revival regardless of the cost. If it takes my life, then revive. I've heard people pray that prayer. But she went further. She said, oh God, we have unsaved loved ones. And some unsaved people in this city have received judgment from thy hand. She said, if it's necessary to send more judgment for more unsaved people to be taken in judgment, if it will bring revival, send the judgment. And I shuddered. But I knew that that girl had hold of the horn for the altar. I was so burdened I could hardly wait till people got on the street the next morning. 
I went down and buttonholed people everywhere I could find. I stepped into a pool room, and the fellows had just finished the game, and one boy put his stick in a rack and started out and deliberately knocked me into a pool table, lunged into it, almost knocked the breath out of me. I swallowed my pride. I said, it's all right, fellas. I'm not here for trouble. I said, I, I, I want to invite you to the meeting. The young men were respectful. They said they'd come. I said, I'm preaching over at the Baptist church this morning in the auditorium tonight. They said they'd come. I went around to a drugstore next door to the pool room and was standing at the soda fountain talking to the young man behind the counter when the same guy who knocked me into the pool table came from the rear of the drugstore and deliberately knocked me into the soda fountain. You know, Jesus said, if a man smites you on one cheek, turn the other, he didn't say what to do after that. So I turned around and took hold of the fella. I said, you did that on purpose. He said, what do you mean? I said, you knocked me into that counter. I said, you knocked me into the table next door. He said, what are you going to do about it? I said, I want to tell you why you did it. You don't have anything against me, but I'm a Christian. And he said, lay aside your Christianity if you don't like it. I said, buddy, I don't have that kind. He pulled out like an old coat and lay aside. What I've got down in here, but I said, I'm not afraid of you. I'll tell you what the possum told the polecat. <laughs> I'm not afraid of you, but if I fight you, I can't go home to my folks. I know how to keep the flies off of myself. I could stand flat-footed and press a hundred pounds with one hand. hundred and fifty pounds. I could press it. I don't think I could juggle it up or, or push it up that way. And I could take a hundred in each hand and people would stand around and bet on how many times I could put them up. And I knew that I had a chance to go to the Golden Glove. I said, I'm not afraid of you. But I said, what's your name? He said, William Baldry. I said, I thought so. You have a half-sister who prayed a prayer for you last night. She prayed that God would send a revival to this town, Minerva Godwin. You have two brothers who are preachers. Your mother's a wonderful Christian. He stepped back and looked down at the floor, stood there for a moment, stuck out his hand and said, Preacher, forgive me. I took his hand and said, You're forgiven. But I said, I want you to be saved. He said, I'll do it tonight. I ask you to do what tonight? He said, I'll be saved tonight. You mean you'll come to the service? He said, No, I'll be saved tonight. Well, I said, you can't decide this morning that you'll be saved tonight. You cannot be saved tonight without repentance. Repentance is a change of attitude. If you're willing to change your attitude, you'll do it now. He said, I'll do it tonight. I said, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day will bring forth. He said, I did not say tomorrow. I said, tonight. But I said, I'll be praying for you, Bill. I sat in my room that afternoon writing a letter. They came and knocked at the door, and a young man by the name of Marion Parker, not related to me, said, Brother Neese wants to see you downstairs. One of the preachers took me by the arm, led me across the lobby up to a mezzanine floor, to a room, and there lay William Baldwin. A doctor was there and said, there's no hope. And I said, Doctor, may I speak with you? I went to the bedside. I said, listen, Bill, you told me you'd be saved tonight. Now's the time to trust Jesus, Bill. You're dying. The doctor says you're dying. Listen, Bill. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That young man reached back and grabbed an iron coat of blood rushed to his face. The dew of death was on his brow. There was a death rattle in his throat. His eyes almost popped out of their sockets. And as I said, shed should not perish. He gritted his teeth and took God's name in vain and left into eternity. God said, now, 
He said tonight. God said this morning. He said tonight. God said now is the accepted time. He said tonight and God slammed the door. In Homerville, Georgia, we had revival. That night I went to the auditorium and had to, I had to go to the back window to get through. I tried to get through the crowd in front. And they were packed in there. I was going to preach. Sin when it is finished. Bring it forth that. But I preached on John 3.16. When I gave the invitation, they did not come by the dozen or by the score. They came by the hundred. They came and they came and they came the next day and the next night and the next day and the next night. And we had revival with judgment day. Your days are not. In Charlottesville, Virginia, we were in a comparatively small church. We had to move out of the church into the city auditorium. And Jeanette MacDonald and Nelson Eddy were to put on a concert. And we had to move from there. We rented the Presbyterian church which seated 1,500 people. We had a revival. The university was very active. They were after the hearts of their fellow students. In many universities, I found them after the heads of their fellow students, and they usually shoot over their heads. But they were after the hearts of their friends in Virginia. And two young men stood with their girlfriends one night, or two girls with their boyfriends. And I gave the invitation. These were Christian girls, and they had brought their boyfriends. And I gave the invitation, I preached that night on thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. I said something I seldom say. In all probability, somebody will make his decision in this service, and it will determine his destiny for all eternity. That may be here tonight. That may be why I have been led in this assembly of preachers and their wives, and a prayer meeting group in a gospel preaching church to preach this kind of a message. It may be somebody's last opportunity this night. One of those young men almost walked over the others and came down to the front and said, Yes, I've got to settle it now. The two girls turned to the other fellow and he said, Yes, I know, but I'm not ready. The service was over. They went out to the Howard Johnson restaurant out on Highway 29 North in Charlottesville. They went back to the dormitory and left the young ladies. The boys went back on the highway and were killed in a wreck. I heard the story before I left Charlottesville the following day. Some months later, I was in Hinton, West Virginia, in the Bell Point Baptist Church. I went over to the Hinton Hospital with the pastor to see a friend of his, and I found one of those young ladies, a nurse in that hospital. She told me the story as I'd heard it back in, well, in Virginia. Some months later, I was in a campaign in Urbana, Champaign, Illinois, and I had dinner with that other young lady and her mother. She was receiving her doctor's degree in library science at the Illinois, and she told me the story as I'd heard it in Virginia and in West Virginia. Ten million years from now, one of those men will be walking down streets of gold under a cloudless sky, saying, thank God. I entered the door while it was open. But the other will be riding in the agony of hell, crying, Why did I slam the door in my face? I had an opportunity, and I allowed it to pass me by. Your days are numbered. 
And it may be I've less been led to this text because somebody here is in God's balances and his days are numbered. And it may be a Christian. I believe in security just like Brother Dow. But there is a sin unto death that a Christian may commit. That is physical death. And there's a sin not unto death. Paul said, for this cause, some are sickly among you and some sleep. James said in the last verse of his epistle, the last two verses, brethren, if one of you do err from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who converts or turns back the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. I believe that means physical death and hide a multitude of sins. I dare say that I have had the privilege of turning literally thousands of people back from physical death, back to the will of God, and they have saved their lives. Many have come to Jesus for the first time and saved their souls. But there's a sin unto death that Christians may commit. That is not to say that always when a Christian dies early, that it is the judgment of God upon that individual. Sometimes God plucks the rarest bloom from his earthly garden or his heavenly bouquet. One of the best Christians I ever knew in my life was snatched suddenly from my side in comparative youth. But often people die before they ought to die because they won't get right with God. Back in the Old Testament, there was one king, there were only four good kings in Judah, None in Israel. Nineteen kings in each kingdom. They four of them were good kings. Jehoshaphat and Asa. Josiah. Well, Hezekiah was a good king. And Isaiah was God's prophet. He spoke as the oracle of God. When he came to Hezekiah and said, Thus saith Jehovah, don't be afraid of Sennacherib. That night, 185,000 of Sennacherib's soldiers died. And when the same prophet came back and said to Hezekiah, Thus saith Jehovah, Hezekiah knew that God had spoken. Thou shalt die and not live. So Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and called upon God. And in the prayer recorded in the 39th chapter of Isaiah and also in Kings, he reveals that there was repentance in his heart. And he confessed his sin. And the prophet came back to him and said, Thus saith Jehovah, God is going to spare your life 15 years. And I'll give you a sign. The shadow will go back on the sundial of Ahaz and it went back 10 degrees by which it had already gone down. As a sign that by his repentance, Hezekiah's life was spared. And it may be that some preacher will save his life by yielding to the Spirit's prompting as he has been prompting you for two days. In this service, somebody may save his life by getting right with God. It may not be a preacher. It may be a layman. It may be a child. It may be a woman. It may be a, a non-church member. Your days are numbered. You're found wanting. Some Christians are found wanting. If Jesus should come tonight, and he may come tonight, and if he should, the dead in Christ would rise first. 
then we would be translated, we who know Jesus, we'd stand before the judgment seat. And some Christian would hear something like this. Come in. There's a place for you, but there's no crown. I've bought you with my blood. I've loved you with an everlasting love. You're mine. Be seated. There's no reward for you. There's no crown of joy for you. That's the soul winner's crown. You were not a soul winner. You dragged your feet when there was a soul winning effort. And on the night when the church had a special soul winning effort, you always found yourself too busy sitting in a comfortable chair with your feet on a hassock looking at your favorite program. There's no crown for you. Oh, there's a place for it, but no reward. There's no crown of glory for you. That's for those who feed the flock of God. For those who edify their fellow Christians with the word of God. You did not edify your fellow Christians. You tore them down. Your miserable spirit of criticism and your bitter spirit of jealousy and your carnal attitude blinded your fellow Christians. Oh, there's a place for it. But there's no reward. Come in, be seated. There is, there's no incorruptible crown for you. That's for those who keep under their body. You did not keep under your body. It reeks of nicotine. And you allowed a little old cigarette to kick you around and boss you around and you didn't care if it did influence your boys or somebody else's boys to become addicted to the same habit. You didn't keep under your body, young lady. You were so promiscuous, you allowed the fellas to paw all over that instrument of the Holy Spirit, that temple of God. Can you imagine Jesus Christ doing the twist? Don't laugh at that. I turned on television this afternoon and uh, teenagers were dancing. And uh, I watched their faces just for a moment and turned it off. I wouldn't watch their bodies, but I watched their faces to see the expression. And I remembered having seen a fellow down in Jamaica, a heathen, doing the calypso. And I remembered the expression on his face. And I said, that's the same expression I saw on the face of a heathen. Can you imagine Jesus giving himself over to the substantiated music of this godless age? And yet, young people from our Baptist churches are falling in step with the world in some of these things. There's no crown for you. You stand up and sing give a testimony and then go out and surrender your body to the devil. Come in. There's no reward. There's no crown of life for you. That's the martyr crown. Those who die the martyr death and those who would die the martyr death so they live the martyr life if they were put to the test. There's a place for you. No crown. No crown of righteousness, that's for those who love my appearing. You didn't love my appearing. You had a morbid curiosity about certain things 
that had to do with the end time, but you did not love my appearing because you did not love me as you ought to have left your first love. There's a place for you. But no crap. Say, I'd weep at the judgment seat. I would weep with a broken heart. Dr. Rice, I believe, had a sermon on tears in heaven. And I believe there'll be tears for God to wipe away. He'll wipe them away, but there'll be tears for God to wipe. Fathers will weep when they see their daughters lost in hell because of their careless, prayerless, powerless walk in this life. And mothers will weep when their sons are in hell. And they'll know that their sons went to hell because they were so carnal they could not demonstrate the power of Jesus in their own life. They'll stand empty-handed and ashamed and naked, found one. And some of you Christians are found wanting and your days are numbered and this may be the last opportunity to save your life. Get right with God. I don't know. I'm no prophet. And I know the word of God. And if you're without Jesus, you're wanting everything. This is not Monroe Parker's doctrine. It's the Bible. Listen. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid. Third chapter, first Corinthians, verse eleven. Other foundation. And no man lays, and that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Say, if you're building on any other foundation, you're building on the quicksand. There's only one foundation you can build on. But you build on the right foundation with wrong materials. Other foundation can no man lay. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. If any man's work shall abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, yet he himself shall be saved, yet as by fire. A lot of Christians are saved by fire. Like Lot, who was dragged out of Sodom, but his children were destroyed, his sons-in-law and his daughters, his married daughters. His wife turned to a pillar of salt, and only two daughters got out of the city, and they were perverted. Then better off if they had burned up in salt. And I'd rather have my children burn up than to go to the devil. Lot was saved by the angels dragging him out. You may be saved by the supernatural power of God and taken out, but you will be taken out as Lot empty-handed and naked and ashamed and your possessions burned, everything destroyed, found one. A lot of Christians build with shoddy material. They build because if you're saved, you, you build. You show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. If you have faith, you have works. We're not saved by faith and works, but we are saved by faith that works. But a lot of people don't work according to the plan of God. They rush in and say, it's Sunday, i got to go to church. Because I didn't go last Sunday or the Sunday before. Let me put this brick up here. i got to do some work we're building. Then he looks at the blueprint and he puts the brick right in the window. <laughs> Says, Pastor, I can't be here tonight. My wife's mother's coming. Next Sunday we got to go out to the home place and decorate a grave. 
Maybe the next Sunday we'll be here if we don't go on our vacation, but we're for you, Pastor. We're behind you. Way behind you. <laughs> about three weeks later, they run in, grab a board, and say, I got to do this work. I've been gone for about three weeks, maybe a little. Well, I didn't notice it because we're not used to seeing you anyhow. <laughs> they build, but they build with wood and hay and stubble. And it's all burned up with the judgment seat and they're empty-handed and naked and ashamed. And found one. But if you're without Jesus, you don't even have the foundation. And you may be a pretty nice person and there's some pretty, pretty nice people who are not Christians and some of them have some good works. But they're building on a foundation that's made of quicksand and when the rain of judgment comes, the whole thing will be lost. But I have all charity and all knowledge and give my body to be burned and all that sort of thing, it doesn't profit me anything. Help somebody else, but it won't help me. Maybe I'm talking to some unregenerate person who thinks he's going to get to heaven by his good works. But you're building on the sand. No foundation. A man came to Jesus one day and he was a good man. Comparatively, he wasn't good because there's only one good and Jesus told him that. But he came and said, good master. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked, why do you call me good? You must recognize that I'm God. There's only one good. Then Jesus quoted to him the commandments that have to do with one's relation to his fellow man. He said, I've kept all of these from my youth up, but like I yet, Jesus said, you lack one thing. He didn't say, you have money, therefore you'll have to go to hell. He said, you lack one thing. It wasn't what he had, it was what he lacked. He lacked the real thing in his heart. He lacked love. He lacked him who is love. He had the wrong God. His God was Plutus, the God of gold. He was a plutocrat. And Jesus said, I'll prove that you lack one thing. Get rid of what you have and come Get what you don't have. You lack one thing. Get rid of what you do have and come follow me. One thing thou lackest, follow me. One thing, me. And he went away. And Jesus looked on him and loved him, but he went to hell and he's there tonight. And he had kept all the commandments from his youth up. I wish I could say that. I wish you could say it. But he's in hell. And before I close this service, and I'm going to close in a few minutes, but I'm going to take this elevator and we're going down to hell to see if we can find that man. You'll have to give me undivided attention. Because we're going to ride this elevator of imagination. You'll have to concentrate and down we go. It's not a very pleasant prospect, but I shall not take you into the pit of hell. My imagination is too dull for that. But if yours is as keen as mine, you can already smell the fumes of the pit. And methinks I can hear the wails of the damned. I'm going to stop here. In my imagination, I can see the lake of fire. Over there, incinerated rock. 
scattering scoria, blackened beetling cracks, waves of liquid fire, fumes, bursting bubbles, bursting, emitting fumes, threaded with serpent flames. And over there behind an incinerated rock, I see a man. I'm going to speak to him. Young man, would you come here please? What do you want with me? You must have been an awful character when you lived up on earth. Or you wouldn't be in hell. You must have been a gangster. A gangster? Sir, I don't think I know what you're talking about. You don't know what a gangster is? You must have been a member of a den of thieves, sir. Den of robbers, or murderers. Or you wouldn't be in hell. Oh, sir. I was no murderer or thief. I kept the commandments from my youth up. The commandments. What do you know about the commandments? You were not a religious person. Oh, sir, I was very religious. I was a ruler of the Jews. A ruler of the Jews. Well, you didn't know Jesus Christ, or you wouldn't be in hell. Jesus Christ! Do you know him? I came to him one day. I fell at his feet. And I called him good master. He was good. He was God. But he told me to get rid of my possessions and follow him. And he loved me. He loved me. And that sort of haunted me. But I had great possessions. And I went away from him. And he still loved me. He loved me. I tried to get it out of my mind, but he loved me. I chose my possessions and they're gone. All of my gold is melted and it's run all over hell. And he loved me. He loved me. That's the hottest flame I have to burn me. The idea that he loved me. And I hate him. I hate him. Back to your suffering. Rich young ruler, you hate the Savior. You'll have to go back to hell. Now, wait a minute before we go. I know that God would not allow a man to leave his suffering in hell for one moment. But we're down here in the elevator of imagination. While we're here, I think I saw another fellow there. I want to speak to him. A sinister-looking fellow there with a rope on his neck. Say, would you come here, sir? You're that way. Just put what you have down there. Put that in. Come on, we've got the cold the third. Let's put it down. Come on, this way. Just lay it. Hey, forget what you have. Give me your attention. You must have been an awful character when you lived up on the earth. You were not a religious man or you wouldn't be in hell. You certainly were not a religious man. Sir, I was very religious. I was a preacher. You a preacher? You didn't preach Jesus Christ or you wouldn't be in hell. Jesus Christ! Do you know Jesus Christ? I did preach Jesus Christ. I sat at his feet for three years. I was his disciple. I cast out demons in his name. But one day he said, Some of you believe not. And one shall betray me. 
And he said he knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. I believed about him. I'll tell you, I cast out demons in his name. I walked in the flesh in his name, but I did not believe in him. I betrayed him. I sold him for 30 pieces of silver. But I took them back and I cast them down at the feet of those who gave them me. And I said, I'm afraid of it for They said, see, he took it. I still have it. He stick to my hand. I tried to get rid of them. I put them down 10 trillion times. They come back. Sometimes they turn to ghosts and they haunt me. They have chased me over ruined plains, squalid out, foul morass, gloomy, desolate mouth. Sometimes they turn to dogs. <coughs> they run me somewhere to bay. There they are. I hear them. They're coming. Turn up. I can hear them. You're suffering. You let this carry it. We'll get out of here and go close the service. But while you're giving me such wonderful cooperation, I shall presume upon you for just a few moments. I'm going to take you up to heaven. Much nicer up this way. The atmosphere is exhilarating. I can't take you into the city of God. My imagination is too poor for that. But if yours is as vivid as mine, you may see the city afar. I see it now. There are jasper walls and pearly gates, jewel foundations. Up higher than the battlements, I see crystal fountains, spires, minarets, bespangled with diamond frost. Do you see that? See that angel? He must be an archangel. I think I shall speak to him. My heart failed me. But I shall make bold to talk with an angel. Are you an archangel? Well, you're some kind of wonderful angel. You're not an angel. Are you a seraph? Are you a cherub? You're some kind of wonderful celestial creature. Could we see a man who used to live down on the earth? You are a man. You didn't live on our poor earth. Do you know whence we came? You did live on our earth. You are a Bible character. No, I don't think I could guess who you are. I may, if I may use the process of elimination. Are you in the Old Testament? Then you're in the New. Are you in the Gospels? You are in the Gospels, then you're one of the twelve. You're not one of the twelve. Are you Joseph, the husband of Mary? 
John the Baptist, Zechariah, are you Jesus? Not Jesus. Sir? Yes, I've read the story of the crucifixion. Often I've read it. There was Nicodemus standing there. Sir? You? Is it possible? Oh, let's go back to the church. It's true. It's true. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. He's there! And down in hell is a preacher of the truth! And a moral man who could say to Jesus himself, I've kept the commandments from my youth up and Jesus did not contradict it. What was the difference? The foundation. Jesus! And if you're on the foundation, with what materials are you building? Your days are numbered. You're found wanting. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.